And in that game, that was the game where he gave, blew the save against Minnesota in the top, in the ninth and then shot them down in the tenth. So and they, as we're talking, literally as we were talking about this, they just did it again. The runner hasn't scored yet. There are two outs. Espinal forgot how many outs there were. But I'm, I am disappointed. And welcome to episode number 247 of Artificial Turf Wars. We've been hitting sharp ground balls and hoping for the best since well, pretty much forever. Uh, I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined... I, you know, it's probably more like the 400th time I've been joined by my host, Joshua Houston. So the fact that I have any adjectives left at all is just shocking to me. Uh, how are you doing, my friend, Josh? I am good. And yeah, you've you, you've gone well above and beyond with these adjectives. <laughs> well, people need to know a lot about you. We need to be confident that they know who's on the other, other microphone here. Um, who is a big Blue Jays fan, I think, is the most important thing <laughs> that they need to know. Uh, so we're going to talk about Bo Bichette. We're going to talk about Alec Manoa, who I have misspelled in our notes. Uh, we're going to talk about Vlad and his 100-100 club that he joined. Uh, we're going to talk about Jordan Romano, Mitch White. You know, it took that one for me to get to a negative. We're going to talk about the Jays forgetting things on defense. Uh, but then we're going to get right back, talk about stripling and the rest of the rotation's consistency. Uh, we're going to place a big question mark over a certain member who is on the Blue Jays roster who uh, we haven't seen. Uh, we have your questions. We're more question marks, but we like those ones. Uh, we have a gold star. I Possibly going to get downgraded slightly while we discuss it, but we're just going to start as a gold star uh, for the MLBPA and the MLB. And then we are going to talk about... There's new rules, Josh. Just when we got used to the old ones. Yeah. But first, Bo freaking Bichette. It's a family show. <laughs> <laughs> you can go back in my tweet timeline. I don't call him freaking Bichette. Wow. We knew we knew he had it in him, right? Well, we did. We've seen it before, but this is—I mean, no one. I don't think I've ever seen this from Bobachet. Where locked in Bobachet is usually wherever you throw it, he's going to hit it and hit it hard. The difference in this one is he's taking very good pitches, and just—he's just reading the ball so well that he's just spitting on these good pitches and then waiting for ones he can drive and then doing it. Yeah, there have been some great takes. Uh, there have been some well-timed uh, balls fouled off as well. Yeah, so obviously the the big mo moment for Bichette it, it was the go-ahead home run against Tampa on Monday. We're recording this during the game on Wednesday. We always record during games because, you know, they're at night. <laughs> yeah, we have lives but, during the day. It turns out that you, yeah, the full-time podcasting gig was not, it never panned out the way we dreamed. So Darn. game and podcast together. Where's that million dollar a month patron? <laughs> <laughs> but You but can anyway. be that guy. You can surf over. But yes, Bobachette with the so, heroics. And, and this is a great example of what I was just talking about because it was um, Jason Adam the homophobe for the Tampa Bay Rays who was out there and he, and Bichette swung 
and missed, or I can't even, I think he missed at a, at a good slider to start the at bat. So, oh no, sorry, yeah, 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 he did, yeah, he did, and then he took the next one that he threw. So he fouled off some fastballs and took some sliders. So he was on these fastballs. So eventually. Adam decided to throw another slider and Bichette just clubbed it. He was out in front, but he clubbed it into the gap for the easy home run, you know, just went over the fence, but like it was just easy power is more of what I'm getting at. And, and Adam was swearing, like, I knew it. I, <laughs> cause, cause it's like that he was on the slider. Cause he was after that first slider, he was on all of them spitting on them. And, and then, and then it just was incredible. And then he did the same thing against um oh, i forget the guy's name the the raised pitcher who has the the very wide eyes but <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not helping the description here like he, he's like bug-eyed he looks like he's bug-eyed when he's pitching but uh any anyway it's he had it was to and he ended up grounding out to end the game pete fairbanks and but he he kept fouling off and fouling off and taking the sliders down out of the out of the zone and it's just he's just hitting everything and seeing everything. And it's really fun to watch. Sorry. I just blabbered on there, but I had to say it. People are scared to pitch to Bichette. Um, and, and rightly so, because uh, not only has he come up with a lot of hits, um, he has not crumbled in difficult situations. Like early in the, the year, there was a bunch of statistics about every homer bow hit. Even though they were somewhat farther, you know, fewer and farther between, either tied the game or put the Blue Jays ahead. He has risen to the occasion in high leverage situations where the Blue Jays need a run to tie or a run to go ahead. So he turned a 2-1 game into a 3-2 game on Monday night. The drama of that just supercharged the crowd, right? It sure did. It was the first curtain call I've actually seen done successfully at the Dome in, jeez, I forever and you know he, he had to be coaxed out of the dugout the, but the fans clearly wanted the curtain call i've seen them call for it a couple times but not as vociferously as they did in that situation and it was a i was there it was a dead crowd a little bit like the crowd actually was very good early in the game but the jays lack of offense just killed them and they were they wanted to get back in you could tell every time something sort of started to happen they tried to get into it and then the jays would you know do something and and the rally, and then the, the crowd would die again. But the second that home run happened, it was a jolt through the stadium. Yeah, uh, and he, again, he came up in a big situation tonight uh, after bases loaded, nobody out. Uh, Vlad grounded out to drive in a run, which which is fine. Um, but ideally, you know, you don't want to turn bases loaded, nobody out into one run. You would like to make it more, and Bichette manages to, a single to the opposite field on another difficult pitch down and away. He's on everything that he can hit, and he he's really really picky about the stuff that he cannot. So he's he's hitting the opposite field, hitting for power. Hey, obviously, he was Player of the Week last week when we did this. I don't think he's going to win Player of the Week again because the home runs are not you know coming in bunches as as it were. And somebody else somebody else is hitting a whole ton of home runs. Some guy fish guy I can't remember him. Um, <laughs> anyway, fish guy probably going to win Player of the Week, but <laughs> um, it helps. That there have been people on in front of Bo as well. I don't want to discount that. Um, as uh, Vlad has gotten on base more often, um, and George Springer has been, well, surprisingly healthy and George Springer-ish, considering Except how his elbow the, looked earlier. 
Right. He hit the home run in the, in this double, second game of the doubleheader. But otherwise, the power for him and Vlad, who we're going to get to again with some power, but hasn't been there. Uh, it, it's a little surprising how much he's struggling in that department, but he's been still getting hits. And like you said, getting on base for Bo, because Vlad wasn't really doing much in terms of the RBI side of things. But yeah, it, it's, I think Bo carried the team for a two week stretch. And then the Jays are, as we record this, in first place in the wild card. Be still my beating heart. Um, we should talk about the other reason that. You know, the other one guy who I think the Blue Jays have leaned on harder than anybody else to be consistent all year, which is Alec Manoa, who after waking up at two in the morning with which I'm glad they don't get into details about how he's feeling. I'm glad they leave it at stomach bug somehow managed 12 hours later to go and gut out six and two thirds innings of I guess it ended up being two run ball. I can't imagine having the stomach. flu. I I call in sick all the time, man. Yeah, Yeah, you know, I I joked on Twitter and then, you know, it was the obvious joke. So a million other people also made it. Not saying they copied me. It just was, you know, it was an obvious one that it was going to be his. I was like, is it going to be his flu game? You know, it's the famous Michael Jordan one. The joke was that they also had the Jordan shrug game with with the Jays Twitter put account with Bo shrugging as he went around the bases on his home run. (laughs) And it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was his flu game. He So. One of the things that makes Alec Manoa different is his ability to succeed when his stuff is not at its peak. He wasn't, he was, his his velocity was down a little bit. His slider wasn't quite as sharp, but he's just such a, I I hate to say it, it sounds so old schoolish, he's such a competitor, you know, but he just knows how to pitch. He knows how to work with stuff that is diminished by pitching off the edges and changing speeds and changing eye levels. And he's just, to me, the very definition of an ace, even if he doesn't get a ton of strikeouts. He gets more swing and miss with a 93-mile-an-hour fastball well-located than Jose Barrios can get with a 96-mile-an-hour fastball on a night when other things are working. Yeah. Yeah. It. It's just he's a treat to watch and he works so fast, too, which is always nice. And I think actually contributes to his ability to keep hitters off balance because they can't really reset properly. Um, He was not as uh, chummy in the dugout, understandably, this last start. But the other part is, is he he acts like a player, not a pitcher. And I for people who don't watch a lot of baseball, what I mean is most pitchers are solitary animals on the day that they pitch. Right. They they sit in the dugout by themselves. They tend not to to converse with other people they try and stay in the zone or, or are focused Manoa's up at he's watching he's cheering he's chatting with people and then he goes out and he destroys people by mixing pitches and and you know painting corners it's crazy yep yeah the personality we i mean we saw it we talked about how he became a star during all-star weekend because everybody got to hear it and see it We've seen it a lot more in Toronto because he's always bouncing around and being jovial in the dugout and smiling. And but it's very easy to root for him. It, it, actually, this is kind of a thing—a truth about the entire Jays roster. They just seem to have a lot of guys that are easy to root for. Now you never know about players' personal lives, and that's the obvious caveat. But from their public-facing personas, they all seem to really enjoy baseball and just have a lot of fun with each other. Uh, if Manoa's uh, ERA were to hold where it is right now for the ring, what does he have? Two or three starts left? Probably, probably three. 
three or four maybe four but if he was if he were to somehow maintain this era at 2.43 uh obviously this is not contextual four, by I think, era, actually yeah but he would have the second lowest full season era minimum i think is 20 starts in um in blue jays history behind roger clemens and just ahead of dave steve's 2.48 in 1985 what's also amazing about this is he's thrown 177 in two-thirds innings which entering today was second in the American League. Oh, I, I think it's still second because Garrett Cole didn't pitch today. He had 30 major league inning, minor league innings, and then 110, I believe it was, somewhere in that range last year in the majors. He's going to get over 200 yep. in his second full, in his first full pro season. He had 111 last year. So yeah, he, he's just a true workhorse, which is which is interesting. I'm sure there was some talk about whether they'd have to limit his innings or, or what they'd have to deal, but they just, no, they just let him go second in the league in innings behind Framber Valdez. I'll be honest. I, I don't buy the ramp up ramp down in innings is the source of, of, uh, fatigue just as sort of this general, like innings are a horrible way to count fatigue. And I think we've had, you know, Dr. Sun on here who said that horrible, you know, there's lots of yeah. fatigue, but innings are a, a crazy way to count it. And the uh, Jays have openly said that they don't do that, that they they look for signs of fatigue as opposed to just, you've thrown this many innings, you must be tired. And we have seen a lot of, what well, there's been like three times when we, on this podcast, were upset that Manoa was not given the ninth because of the number of pitches and the low stress outings that he had had up to that point, where they yep. were simply you know trying to ensure a victory with Jordan Romano uh, at the back end, who we will get to later. Um, let us... Uh, hop over to Vlad after singing Manoa's praises. Vlad hit his 100th career home run tonight. I'm happy. Yes, he did. It's been a long time coming. He stuck on 99 for quite a while there. Yeah. But uh, he, he also coincidentally has 100 career doubles. <clears throat> yep, which makes him the seventh youngest player to reach that in MLB history. This is not you know one of mm -hmm. the youngest J to whatever stats that he has had all over the place here's the list mel ott alex rodriguez andrew jones miguel cabrera johnny bench bryce harper and then vlad that's a like a, it's some inner circle hall of famers or will be when they're done a rod who would be if he wasn't for steroids and andrew jones who was an inner circle hall of famer track for the first 10 years of his career and then he just fell off <laughs> yeah uh, so despite his ups and downs in any given section of the season, I mean, ultimately Vlad is still on an elite player pace for his age bar thing, which is good. Yeah. And, and one thing that's interesting about Vlad, as much as he's hitting a ton of ground balls lately, he's had a couple doubles and this home run, which was a soaring fly ball, barely cleared the fence. He's actually hitting for a decent batting average of late, even if the slugging percentage is not. And as you said, he's been getting on. He's had a couple walks, not as many as you'd like, but he's been getting these, some of these ground balls through the infield because they're hit hard enough. And as long as he's still doing something and contributing in some way, it still works, right? It's still, you know, in the number two hitter in the lineup, it helps. He was 11 for his last 34, I think, which is just under 300, just over 300. And if the if the number three hitter is Bo Bichette with his hair on fire, 
um yeah it works even better yeah 324 in his last 34 bats so it's working and yeah the home run was nice and it was I, i'm you saw the size of sign of relief on his body when he crossed the plate like finally like i, I think he might have been pressing just a little bit to get there yeah for sure i mean you can't count on bottom of the lineup to hit four straight singles all the time. Although that has been another strategy that has worked surprisingly well for the Jays against Rays in this extremely long five-game series. <laughs> um, Jordan Romano. Jordan Romano has not had an easy time of it compared to some closers over the years. A lot of closers knew that they would be coming in in the ninth with a clean inning with two or three run leads most of the time. That has not been Jordan Romano's fate this year. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it started off just as Romano was coming in with one-run leads all the time. Now it's coming in with one-run leads in the eighth inning all the time. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. I, in general, am a big fan of... If you need five outs and your closer is available, bring him in, especially if he is your strikeout guy. The, the idea that that one out is somehow verboten for your closer to get is crazy to me. Oh, for sure. And the, and the major Jays are doing this, right? right? Yep. Sean Schneider has agreed with this strategy full stop. And Romano's average leverage index is 2.55. For those who don't understand leverage index as a stat, anything at one is normal leverage. 1.5 is... So one one is, a t is, is the start of the game, right? Tie game, first inning, 0-0. Zero, zero. That's one leverage. Sure. I'm pretty but, sure. Okay, but anyway, two is considered high leverage. Like the, this, this is an inflection point in the game. Romano is at two point five five, which is the highest in baseball. <laughs> he is closer. Second is closer to sixth than it is to first. Uh, it shows. I mean, I feel it every time he is called upon. Now, I would, wanted to highlight the fact that I am 100% in favor of the strategy. You are correct. Schneider has used this strategy multiple times. And many times it is going to result in a four or five out safe, which is just statistically the odds of scoring a run in the bottom of the eighth when you or the top of the ninth, uh, whichever, when you employ this strategy are pretty low. But last night, it worked out the way you really, really hope that it's going to work. Jordan Romano came in through, what, five pitches for the last out of the eighth. Yep. And then the Jays turned around and scored four runs. I think it was three pitches. Maybe three pitches. Stretched out their lead to five runs. And Jordan Romano sat down and Zach Pop came in to finish the game. And now, as pointed out by the broadcasts, but uh, you know, I was thinking about it as soon as it happened, you just saved yourself Burton Jordan Romano for the next day, but you got the most important out of the game out of Jordan Romano. Genius. Why doesn't everybody yep. do this? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I am glad that we have not heard, as, as some players get bent out of shape about their supposed role, I am glad we have not heard a single peep out of Jordan Romano regarding well, if it's more difficult or not to, to come back out for a second inning. 
it makes me happy that he's on board. Yeah. And here's the thing with Romano. He's been excellent, right? He hasn't given up a run since August 7th. And in that game, that was the game where he gave, blew the save against Minnesota in the top, in the ninth and then shot them down in the 10th. He's got the best stuff he's had all year. His fastball average at the beginning of the season was 96.8. Now it's 98. His slider, 86.8. Now it's 88. And he's throwing two different sliders, which is the very fascinating one. He's got the the one that has more of the curveball break, the, the you know more straight down, and then he's mm-hmm. he started throwing this sweeper when he really wants to swing and miss from a right-handed certain types of right-handed batters. He broke it out against uh, the first time I saw it. I think it was against Pittsburgh, and it just gives him this other extra weapon, and it's really nice to see it. And it's just he's just dominant. So just for the record, since let's go with. The all-star break. It's a nice, nice round, round, you know, stopping point. Round is the wrong word. He has given up two runs, two earned runs. He gave up an unearned run in that game where he didn't give up. A, uh, where he struck, got a strikeout and a ground ball in the third, and they somehow scored a run. Two earned runs in 22 and two-third innings with 27 strikeouts and one unintentional walk. That's the big one. Romano's issue always has been, if he had one, that he was a little shaky with command. Not anymore. He is just pounding the strike zone with fastballs and sliders, and people just can't touch him. Um, I am not going to besmirch his reputation, but rumor has it that since spin rate is back up, uh, someone has spread the rumor about whatever sticky stuff is difficult to find and perfectly okay to use again. And I would not be surprised that that has been a tremendous help to Jordan Ramon. Maybe. But either way, I don't care what the reason is. He's just been great, and it's been really nice to see. And as you said, the Schneider's usage of him is equally nice to see. Yeah. Get, get the biggest outs of the game with your best pitcher. I will never stop saying that. All right. Uh, we do have, it turns out, other... Other slight surprises. Mitch White, who should have been good, as we discussed, coming over from um, the Dodgers, had a track record of being at least decent, was absolutely abysmal for the Blue Jays. And uh, he appears to have realized that, done a course correction, and is now good again? I don't understand. Yeah, so because of the Manoa issue... (laughs) They did not know if he was going to be able to start game two of the doubleheader. So Merriweather opened, gave up a run because he has a very straight fastball still. And then Mitch White came in. The task for Mitch White was to go as deep as he absolutely possibly could because they didn't know if they need to do two bullpen games in one day. And he did it. He lasted six innings and he gave up three runs. We'll get to how those three runs scored in the <laughs> in the next little th- subject we talk about, but there was no good contact. Even even the first run they scored was four balls hit at under eighty miles an hour. They just happened to find holes, and he just looked really really good. Only two strikeouts, so the strikeouts are way down. But he he credited Gaussman essentially telling him like stop trying to throw everything as hard as you can because it's messing up with your mechanics and your location and he eased off a bit and it worked 
you know, it's one of those, well, wish you had the advice sooner, but you got the advice. You, you were able to employ it the next time you pitched and voila. <laughs> um, and as you said, probably did not deserve those three runs. How, how many times can the Blue Jays forget how to baseball? Uh, it's, it, it's kind of fascinating. So the, the Rays first six runs that they scored in this series, four of them would have not scored if the Jays had just not done dumb things. <laughs> in, the, in the first game of the series, Vlad decided not to go after a ball and leave it for the second baseman when it was hit like two steps to his right and it went for a single that scored a run. And then the second run was when Danny Jansen on a 3-2 count caught a Ugh. clear ball, a clear ball, and decided to throw, try to throw at the runner anyway, who was automatically safe, yep. and threw it in the center field, and then and then he came around to score on a ground ball, <clears throat> or or sack fly. I can't remember. Would not have scored otherwise. He, he came to third on the on the error, and then he scored on the on the ground on the ground out immediately afterwards. Right, and then in the second game, Mitch White, so he was having this bad contact. One of the plays was a ground ball where Vlad. Did the opposite. He started to go and then ran back to the bag for the throw and missed the base again. <laughs> and then the second one was a single to left. Uh, Rosarena was running from first, single to left to Teoscar. And he started trying to run the ball into the infield. And Rosarena just didn't stop running. And he ran home and Teoscar threw it to the backstop. <clears throat> and it was just like, guys, wake up, get the ball in the infield, and then stop that guy there. Yeah, just just basic baseball stuff you learn in like high school. Hey, you gotta gotta show up at the right base. Gotta throw to the right base. You gotta like I don't know. It, it happens to a lot of teams where you see things. And you're like, really? You've been playing baseball for the last like ten years of your life professionally, and you did that. But it's tough when it happens a bunch of times in a one or two game or three game span. It's like, oh. You were hurting me in a way that I didn't think I could be hurt anymore. <laughs> uh, so it probably cost them one game. On the bright side, so far, that's all it's cost them. So and they, as we're talking, literally as we were talking about this, they just did it again. The runner hasn't scored yet. There are two outs. Espinal forgot how many outs there were. There was a routine double play ball hit to him with one out, runner on first. And he just calmly got it and threw to first for the second out. And now there's a runner on second, which given the way the series has gone, he's probably going to score. But it's just the, they have to stop doing dumb things in the field. They've been winning, but it makes it a lot harder. Yeah. Um, that notwithstanding, we've, we've ragged on them enough for their defensive lapses, even though it just literally happened. Um, they have been rescued largely by the fact that the I would say the entire starting rotation. I mean, Mitch White is kind of a, a wild card. We have questions about him. But the rest of the starting rotation, led by Ross Stripling, who, again, today, remember, the guy is only supposed to go twice through the lineup. Six and a third innings, four hits, one earned run on a, on a home run by, uh, by Harold Ramirez, who for some reason is just a madman right now. I don't understand it. Um, yeah. Ross Stripling hasn't allowed more than three runs in a start since he came back from injury. And he's thrown six innings in six straight. There's nothing else you can ask from a pitcher that he's not giving them. 
Yeah, especially a guy who, remember, started the year in the bullpen. You're, yeah, he's he's been better than any other fifth starter that they 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 hired to be a fifth starter. So, kudos. Uh, the rest of the it, rotation. Well, just one thing. Yeah. The, the the biggest thing for Stripling and the reason he's turned into this pitcher, he's Marco Estrada now. I mean, he's, he's just he's throwing all these changeups that are unhittable. Batters are hitting under two hundred against his changeup. And today he got eight swings and misses on his changeup, and it's just turned him into this next level pitcher, and it's awesome to see. Love it, love him. Yeah, we, we gotta we go back to that qualifying off question um, at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, which I mean, to be honest though, Jose Barrios and Kevin Gaussman have haven't been too too shaky themselves. With, with obviously the, the Texas problem for Gaussman, where he kind of lost the plot sometime in the fifth inning um but other than that it's been a very like every it's it's not a scientific thing by any stretch but i see names come up at the starting rotation and i just mentally think well the jays have a chance to win with blank on the mound and blank is basically now everybody yeah um we're not going to get to the fifth starter yet because we have questions about that but the four guys that everybody knows who they're going to be they're rolling it's nice to see. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's they they. This is the starting rotation performance they paid for, right? When they when they extended Barrios and signed Gaussman, this is what they were hoping for from from those two guys. Is give us something every every fifth day that we can count on being in the game, um, and and we have not seen a meltdown for quite a while. Yep. All right, you wanted me to do this. I wanted to do this. Where in the world is Gabriel Moreno? <laughs> Thank you. Where? What? They called him up, and then they. I did. Did he lose his? Did the bats get lost in transit? Does he not have his catcher's equipment? What is going on? Yeah, he might have. Uh, I don't know. Is he in the dugout? Has anyone seen him? There's <laughs> <laughs> posters with his. There's milk cartons with his face on them. Do we need the Rockapella to give us clues about his location? It's a deep cut for people who watched the show back in the early 90s. But, yeah, I don't get it. I don't understand why he's there if he's not going to play. Uh, people tell me it's, well, this way they can pinch hit for Kirk or Jensen. or You don't need three catchers to do that. The odds of your catcher getting injured are extremely slim. And it's just, it's bizarre that they have the situation, a guy who I thought was going to be up to pinch hit, not pinch hitting to the point where in the perfect pinch hitting situation, Gabriel Moreno's trending on Twitter as Whit Merrifield doubled in. I think it was the go ahead run. It was. Yes. He, he doubled in the tying and go ahead runs. And it was just sort of, why is he here? If this isn't a spot to use him, if you're not going to use him there, why not have Yoshi Tsutsugo up? Someone who can give you some power and fill in it first for Vlad and, and just offer something a little different because no one on the bench can hit other yeah. than whoever's playing second that day, whoever's not playing second that day in the platoon, right? Espinal can hit lefties, Bijo can hit righties. But yeah, I don't know. I just don't get it. It's really bizarre. And maybe he's up here to learn about a pennant race or something and they think that has more value than being in Buffalo. But anyway... We can't make them use him, but we wish we could. 
all right yeah that'll be the one to chew on for next week most likely um we are going to take a brief break we are going to come back with your questions and i'm going to reassure everyone that no the run josh was predicting would score did not score nope hooray <laughs> we'll be right back after this don't pick up the phone You know he's only calling Cause he's drunk and alone Two Don't let him in You have to kick him out again Three Don't be his friend You know you're gonna wake up In his bed in the morning And if you're under him You ain't getting over him I got news And we're back Did y'all know that Josh Has no idea What the bumper music is Because I add that later So um Oh, a little little trivia for the yeah, listeners. That's why that's why he never reacts to the bumper music because it, it <laughs> that's doesn't very really true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We, he does generally hear this though. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Then how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? You know, when we get the same question twice, I do kind of get to repeat the question. Um, <laughs> Jarrett S at JRod19 asks, what do you think the plan is for the fifth start for the remainder of the regular season? And then L at Ellie Ellie Hart. Uh, I believe we saw uh, L in the uh, the patrons live chat we had this week. Uh, nice to see all the rest of you patrons in there as well. Uh, if she asks if you had the reins, what would you be doing with the fifth rotation spot? Just keep throwing white out there? Bullpen day every five days? Convert one of the outfielders? I mean, that sounds like sign Bartolo Colon is, is right after that as a possible. Well, I mean, converting one of the outfielders might be more useful than the number of outfielders they have on the bench. Bradley's Oof. got a good arm. Oh, yeah. Uh, so White is not an option. He was allowed to pitch in the doubleheader because you're allowed to call someone up, even if they're on option. And, and he has to be on option for 15 days. And it has only been seven. So they'll have to go one more turn in their rotation with something. And I believe it will be another bullpen day. They've done it twice now. Once, actually both times it's been effective. They, they lost to the Rangers, but the bullpen day only gave up four runs in nine innings. The Jays didn't hit. So that's my assumption is that it'll be bullpen day again. And then Mitch White for the remainder of the season, because White is better than he pitched. And he's better and, than a bullpen day. Yeah. <laughs> but short um, leash, like they more relievers. I suppose instead of having trying to get six, seven out of white, he'll his job will be to get three. And, and I mean, legitimately a a on on plan, you say Kikuchi can give you two to three innings. Yep. Uh yeah. Next question. Howie says at says underscore Howie. Watching some pitchers make efforts to hear pitch com. Would you think many baseball may become similar to football where the home team fans are quieter so their pitcher can hear the pitches and make noise to make it hard for the visiting pitcher to hear, especially next season with the pitch clock? It's kind of funny. I mean, every time Jordan Romano pitches, you see him holding his, his, his glove to his ear at home so that he can hear the pitch com. I think they'll have to tweak pitch com and just go back to finger signs with your hands. Like if you can't hear, it's, it's an easy fix. I honestly really like the idea of Pitchcom. I, I, I think tweaking Pitchcom to maybe locate the speaker in a better spot or, you know, to make it louder for guys or to have it 
you know, that's the next season part of things. But for this, they're not going to change yeah. it before the postseason. If you can't hear in the postseason, use your hands. Make so, yeah. like the way the yeah. Patriots have done it for a hundred years. I think a lot of uh, the fact that some pitchers really struggle to hear and other ones don't seem to have even a second thought about it. I I, ha I have a feeling it's the way they're using pitchcom, not pitchcom itself. But I could be wrong about that. Yeah, but also the reason Romano can never hear it is because it's always really loud in the ninth <laughs> inning. <laughs> I don't, that's to the point of the question. I do not think, in a sport where fans regularly do the wave at the absolute worst time for their home team to you know for their their pitcher to be experiencing it, they will have any conscious effort like you know the free throws in basketball. I I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, Andrew Rushbler at a Rushbler asks uh, uh says that we should offer up clear do-over winners for this week uh danny jansen and randy rosarania for for literally having to do over steal attempts due to a really weird rule um that got called not once but twice in the same plate appearance yeah uh, i don't think i've ever actually seen it happen i i, I have new I mean, you see, you often see often you sometimes see guys stealing second, the batter is falling all over the place, and the the throw is obstructed. The runner's called out, caught stealing. This one was Manny Margot's backswing hit Jansen. That's not considered the same level as obstruction because it's just your swing and the catcher's trying to throw. They collide, so the runner just goes back to first. Okay, well that was weird. Rosarena goes again. It happened again. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen it on a field. And it happened twice in the same at bat. Yeah. Uh, I, you'll probably never see it again. Uh, the other thing <laughs> I've never, I've never seen is that uh, the major league baseball and the major league baseball players association combine for what I am. I'm going to tentatively declare a gold star. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. So we discussed the um, intentions of minor league baseball players to join the MLBPA, Major League Baseball Players Association, um, such that they were moving into their offices. And we, we reserved a judgment a couple of weeks ago, whether that was going to be a thing that actually happened or not. Looks like it's absolutely going to be a thing that's going to happen because in principle, MLB has agreed to um, allow them to do whatever they, the, the official process, a card count or certification count for the minor league baseball players. They are working out the language of exactly how they're going to do that, but they are not going to oppose the attempt to um, to expand the bargaining unit. It's actually official now. It is official now. I missed yes. it. Yes. Yes, it's official. The MLBPA now officially represents minor league baseball players, and it's great. Um, the reason it was maybe a, it's a gold star, but maybe is like MLB just actively doing something decent is cause for celebration when it comes to dealing with MLBPA. But it's the right move. It was the only move they really should make, and it's awesome. And this was this was an organization that literally um, called its players, its minor league players, who can can only get paid for the months where they are playing at below poverty wages at the moment. They called them independent contractors and said it wasn't really a job. So to flip that on its head and have them as members of a union is a huge, huge leap 
and the way that they're going, the rights that they're going to have and the, the way that they're going to be able to bargain for fair treatment just to be treated like actual employees. Yep. So, yeah, come get your gold star, guys. You've got, we'll, we'll make two. <laughs> I may make them using an artificial intelligence image generator, but, um, you know, <laughs> you, you get what you get. Uh, now we're going to step back. We're going to look to the future and we're going to talk about the new rules. Some of which I have, I have read bits and pieces about other bits of which I think I've probably missed intentionally because ever since the Manfred runner, the new rules have just not really floated my boat, so to speak. Yeah. I think you need to put our stinger this time, new rules by Dua Lipa, but, uh, or, or, or music break music. <laughs> But, I'll look it up. Um, so the the main ones are that there's now the pitch clock is in. The So the rules are the pitcher has 15 seconds when there's no one on and 20 seconds when there's a runner on base to throw the pitch. And they can step off twice without to reset the clock without a penalty. But oddly, if you step off again, it's a balk. Unless an out is recorded on a runner. So if I'm a base stealing runner, uh, I'm taking a, a big enough lead to draw a couple throws and then I'm taking a bigger lead because the risk of throwing over again is extremely high. Yeah, and the other you have to that, throw over and make it out. Yes, you have to pick the guy up. And, and the other uh, rule is the, ha the batter has to be ready to hit with eight seconds to go. Right. So it's not all on the pitcher. It's like the batter can't just kill time and <laughs> so and screw up the pitcher, and make him get boxed. So it's you know it, it's the way it is. Like it's the the clock is in. The the players didn't want it, but you know that's the way they they've set it up. Um, and the the batter gets one timeout per plate appearance. Cool. And, and it says the umpire can give additional time if warranted by special circumstances. Basically, it says if the catcher make if an example is like the catcher makes the last set of an inning and needs time to get in a defensive position. I don't know why that would affect the pitch clock, <laughs> but whatever. So I have two two thoughts on this. Um, one of which has just left my head. Um, so you have one thought. Yeah, I have one thought, um, which is the possibility. Oh. Uh, the first thought was I read that this has decreased game times over the minor leagues, which is the, the, the goal. And we've had years and years of various strategies that don't involve a clock. But um, I understand having a clock I, in baseball is anathema to people, but it, nothing else worked. So here we are. It has decreased game length much more in the lower minors than it has in AAA. So I am curious to see if that effect extends into the major leagues. Yep. Number two, um, Dr. Sun, who we've talked to at great length about this, one of the biggest things uh, causing injuries is fatigue. And one of the worst ways to get fatigued is to not have that recovery time between pitches to reset and and throw in your proper form. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll so, see what happens. But one of the other big ones is max effort pitches. So they'll just have to not throw everything as hard as they possibly can, which might increase offense a little bit, which might not be the worst thing. That said, I totally understand you don't want the injury risk added. So anyway, defensive shifts are now banned. 
to the point where infielders cannot stand on the outfield at all. So none of that, that second baseman in the rover position, no four-man outfielders, four-man outfields, and the second baseman and the shortstop must start on their relative sides of the base, of second base. I, if you want more offense and more baseballs getting through the infield, this is what you get. I just, I, I, I'm glad they did it without drawing any lines on the field, I guess, or boxes. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I am disappointed. <laughs> how, do you, how, how do you feel about it? Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't love it. And I especially hate the, now they've limited outfield shifts too. This really hurts the Jays. The Jays shift in the outfield. They put the four-man outfield more than any team in baseball combined, I believe is the stat I saw. I think it was Chris Black who did it, who put it out there. The Jays have four more four-man outfield alignments than every other team in baseball combined. And now they can't do it anymore starting next year. I think they were literally, someone said, someone needs to be the poster child for this working. And someone at that meeting stood up and, and they were wearing a Blue Jays hat. And that was that was how it happened. It's almost like they, they were going to be like the demonstration of how effective it could be. Yeah. And it and is effective. Anyway, works a yeah. lot. <laughs> it works very well. So it'll be interesting to see how it, ha how it plays out in the big leagues and... It's unfortunate. I kind of like the idea that you can just put guys where you want. The only rule in the books was always the catcher has to be in the little catcher's box. The catcher pitcher has, has to be, be on the, the rubber. Yep. And everybody else can be anywhere within the white lines. That's it. Yeah. I, I, it, it, again, if you're trying to get offense to make the games more exciting, to, to make putting the ball in play on the ground have more value, this all makes it doesn't mean I have to like it. <laughs> we got any other new rules? Yeah, the bases are a little bit bigger. This is it's slightly increased stolen bases combined with the pitch clock thing with the the, the disengaging from the rubber rule. But it, the idea is to reduce injuries because the base the, the the size of the bases was you know decided 130 years ago when people's feet were smaller, <laughs> and it has reduced injuries at the bases. We've seen a lot of them. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm fine with that. I I would have been fine with with part of first base and foul territory. To be perfectly honest, like in softball, uh, it doesn't have to be as extreme as in softball, but somewhere for the runner to run in foul territory and still put its foot on the base. I I'm fine with that. But they'll, they'll do what they're going to do. Um, I would also like to now point out, as one of our one of our longtime listeners appreciates the in-game updates, apparently. Uh, Jimmy Garcia was told during a mound visit, you should just strike the next three guys out. <laughs> <laughs> he did that. Just blew fastballs by three hitters in a row. And it's Yimmy now, apparently, not Jimmy. We're back to we're back to Yimmy? Yimmy. <clears throat> but Yimmy. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have trouble with that. Not not because I have a problem with pronouncing, pronouncing names. It's when things keep changing. I'm not very good at keeping up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 2023, whole new ball game. Yeah. Same as the old ball game. Kind of. All right. Well, that rounds out our lovely podcast for the 247th time under this particular name, uh, which means, as usual, I will be asking you this difficult question. Do you have a final thought? Yeah, I, I guess I do. Uh, uh, there's been a lot of discourse out there about 
where the Jays should try to finish in the wild card race. And look, you want to win. You just want to finish. You want to play well and win. But the biggest advantage of the biggest thing that matters is that you want to be able to go into the last weekend of the season, wherever you're going to finish, and not have to use Manoa and Gaussman on the last two days of the year because you want them pitching the first two games of whatever postseason spot you're in. And I think that is the most important factor as opposed to at home or in the third wild card playing whoever comes out of this, the bloodbath at the central. I think being able to set up your rotation is all that matters. And if they're in comfortably a playoff spot, they should just say, we'll try to win with other guys, but these guys are not pitching. Yeah, because the, the two games that are, if, if you know you're going to make the playoffs, you have to win two games. And I, I put my money on those two guys taking me uh, over the top in the last, in the in the first two games of a playoff series. And then obviously you save Ross Stripling for game three, the closer. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I know we are not a, a New York Yankees podcast and we, we tend not to talk about them, but holy crap, Aaron judge, um, 57th home run last night, um, on pace for 64 now. Yeah. But the American league record and far, so far ahead of anyone else. Last time anyone was this far ahead of, of everyone else, uh, in terms of home run count was, was Babe Ruth hit like 54 and Hack Wilson had 31 or something like that in 1936 um, for context. Um, he is just so head and shoulders above the league, which it does. The one thing it makes me wonder is how angry would Yankees fans be at this season if there was no Aaron Judge in New York? <laughs> I mean, their, their team, they're not hitting well as a whole other than Aaron Judge. So, yeah, they would be not happy. All right. Um, yeah, just picture, picture those Yankee tears because how much, how many, also, how many hundred million dollars did he just earn himself with this season? <laughs> uh, maybe one. <laughs> he might actually earn himself a hundred million dollars with this season. It's amazing. All right. Uh, which is to say that I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and that was a Boba Shet double on a sharp line drive to center field through Manuel Margot. And this was Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 247, and we'll talk at you next week. Next week.